Here we are, Wake From Sleep, episode 8 for the 14th of March 2022. Hi Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm actually pretty good, Rod. A little tired, but pretty good. Yourself? Oh, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. Looking forward to talk some tech this week. Yeah, it would be good, actually. I've had not anybody to engage with, really, over the last few days on tech, so it would be good to good to vent and let it all out. Yeah, and you know, there's the repercussions of the event from last week, so it's all good, I think. The financial repercussions, is that? Well, I think we could probably dive straight into that, couldn't we? Okay, you know, a little bit of follow-up on last week. Did we buy anything? I mean, I can do a spoiler straight away. I've thought very hard about it and not bought anything. We can touch on that again, but I believe you have. I thought for not very long about it, and literally as we hung up on our call last night, I then proceeded to buy the Apple Studio Display. And I'm, I went just for the regular stand. I thought, A, 1500 quid was enough, and B, I've got a standing desk, which I normally use, so actually the height of the screen doesn't overly matter for me because I would just <laughs> raise the desk up higher if I want to. So that's what I've gone for. Quite excited by it, and it's due end of March, first week of April. I should just order one off the back because the joy of Apple is you can always cancel can't you so they do make that quite easy so i ordered one straight away last week and i thought if if i change my mind i'll just cancel it ahead of time but actually the more i've thought about it the more i'm really looking forward to it so yeah very happy no it's a good looking device and and you know having read a lot of the stuff since last week i had properly appreciated it. it really is just an imac g5 screen stuck in a nice box with a webcam and some nice speakers stuck on it but that's not bad that 5k screen's a really nice screen yeah no it's a really nice screen i've got some 4k screens i say some i'm quite lucky i guess because i've got two desks at home but actually what it's done is it's given me a little boot so i've I'll probably talk about it later in the show, but it's made me get myself sorted out in my office because I've never been 100% happy with where I've got it. That's nice. All right. Well, we can talk about what you did. Uh, I mean, I will, just to finish off my thoughts, I did swither long and hard over pressing the buy button on the screen, but um, I don't think the time is quite right yet. And in, in a way, that's nice. It lets me see the reviews and see how that goes and how it all comes together. The, the refresh rate was putting me off a little bit, but I can probably find a way to justify it if I tried really hard. But for now, I'm resisting the urge. I was more tempted with the Mac Studio. I really was. The, the something about that computer I find quite compelling, and I think we can maybe touch on that a little bit later as well uh, in the show. But that's it. No purchases for me. I'm just happy I only bought one thing. Half of me was looking at the trading for my Mac Mini because I thought, I want to do a bit more coding, but the Mac Mini seems to be fine. So I, I was good. I just bought one. Yeah, it's good enough for that. Oh, well, there we go. That's that's it for follow-up then. You have one thing, which we'll get a review on at some point when you get it, and we'll see what develops for me. Shall we move on to news? Let's move on to news. So first up, a bit, bit on the rumour mill here, and I, I don't normally go for hardware rumours ahead of time. I like to see when it comes out, but there's a lot of rumours that the iPhone 14 Pro models will get a new A16 chip and the non-Pro models, the regular models, will get some variant of the A15. So it's more differentiation that's beyond just lenses and case finishing. What do you think about this? Well, I'm a bit mixed about it, really. It is interesting to talk for those who don't keep up with these things. For the last two generations, at least, the iPhone Pro models and the standard iPhone models have had the same silicon and chip inside of them. So the same clock processor, the same generation, pretty much the same RAM in them as well. So they've been, as Chris says, other than the camera and the finish on them, shiny or not shiny, or aluminium bands or body match bands around the phones, They've been effectively the same phone, and it's made buying the the lesser iPhone, the non-pro iPhone, actually a, a no-brainer for lots of people. There's there's no real worry about it. This sort of differentiation, where you have the last generation of processor in the non-pro model, is something to think about. But hand on heart, 
I haven't noticed a huge difference in speed between my iPhone 11 and the iPhone 13 that I have now. So I don't think many users would actually notice a difference between the Pro and the non-Pro processor or the sort of the current generation and the previous generation processor. I'd kind of agree with that. So I've got the 12 Pro Max and I've never found it slow to do anything. It's nearly two years old, but I think I could easily keep it for a third year. And I like my modern tech and how to have the latest and the, the most performant device, but I, they've done such a good job. I don't think this is a big issue. I guess it would just come down to, as they tell the story, what new fancy things does the A16 do that previous A15s can't do? But equally, I think they've got to such a good base now that the chips are so good that I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a big issue, if I'm honest. It's just another differentiator. I agree. And although the one thing that makes me sort of hesitate is price, of course, because you, you shouldn't pay as much of a premium for the previous generation chip. They should have got better at making it. There should be more of them in circulation. If they're trying to come down a little bit to hit a price point, then then I can understand that. That, that makes sense to me. You're still getting almost good enough. Maybe they get the ProRes screens or something instead, you know, uh, to, to, br- to bring a bit more parity across the line. But it, it's it, it's not that big a deal, I don't think. I don't think they're looking for parity, though. I think they're looking to drive you into the Pro. Maybe I don't think they've ever released the numbers or the, the split. Maybe the split has been, you know, 75% standard, you know, iPhone 12, iPhone 13, and 30% say Pro. Maybe they're trying to drive that split the other way obviously they make more margins so maybe they are trying to not have parity and have more of a differentiator to drive those people that are on the cusp possibly or it could be chip shortages as well of course we know that's bit you know quite a few manufacturers over the over the period of covid i don't think the war in ukraine is helping that i read a report the other day that the, the ukrainian war the, the ukrainians weren't large manufacturers of helium which is something to do with chip production so if that supply is going to continue to be constrained making the thing you're already making for the bulk of your phones is probably not a bad way to go yeah that, that's true isn't it it's so hard to know what what is driving this decision and you know apple will never tell us what what the real drivers are so it's going to be interesting to see how they tell the story and well obviously the war in ukraine is is awful on many fronts and it's holding up a lot of production i think it's been quite how much how much manufacturing is done there or raw materials i had no idea until now well big country very productive amazing developers as well lots of software comes from ukraine and it's as you say it's an ongoing tragedy and and, you know a little bit of helium is probably the least of the worries at the moment and certainly you know they've got far more devastating things to deal with at the moment so that's on on that downer i think we should probably move on from that story i think we'll see we'll see where it comes yeah, definitely. Let's, we keep an eye on it. But the, the uh, iPhone 14, though, in slightly more positive news, is looking up with the potential punch holes on the screen, no notch, with the, the better chips. This could be an interesting interesting year for a, a pro upgrade, I think. Yeah, we, we will see. We will see. I mean, it's it's evolution, not revolution at this stage, isn't it? And yeah, the Android, we've talked about this before, the Android side of the market has done very well with the punch hole cameras, and I think they do look better. They're not quite as distracting as the notch, which I do notice from time to time. So, yeah, I, I li- I'd like to see them move along that path, really. The other thing, I don't know if it's talked about in the rumor particularly, is the move to sort of periscope cameras as well. So, like, Samsung and Android phones actually move the optics along the back of the phone and reflect it with a mirror, so you actually get a longer focal length within it. So you can do these extreme zooms, the 10 times optical zoom, the 100 times optical digital zoom in the Samsung's case, 
that the iPhones up to this point haven't been able to do other than expanding the camera bump. So if they can start to do that kind of shift of enough space within the case of the iPhone to give you periscope zoom on things, I think that's quite a good way to go as well. I don't know if this is part of this rumour. No, I don't believe it is just purely about, about the chip. And I wonder whether it's something that's been purposefully leaked just to set expectation ahead of the event. Because obviously this could be seen as a bit of a negative. And we've seen Apple do it before, like when they were taking out the headphone jack. It clearly got signposted early on and so that everybody had time to get used to it. And then when they announced it, oh, yeah, the headphone jack's not there. We knew that about 12 months ago. Same when they took the chargers out. So I wonder if they're doing it early to set expectations so that actually when they get to the event six months from now, we all kind of know that, oh, yeah, they've done what what, what they said they were going to do earlier on. So that, that's my view on it. Yep, not disagreeing. Time will tell. Maybe more exciting things to come. In other news, uh, Apple has finally released iOS 15.4 or um, iPadOS 15.4 as well, uh, macOS 12.4 and watchOS 8.5 in their final versions, which brings with it the universal control that we had. I was trying to get working and did, and mask face unlock, all of which works very well if you're into that kind of thing. And I think the thing that will probably be the most notable by most of the population is uh, new emoji. I'm not something that sends much emoji, if any. So <laughs> I think that might just pass me by. But no, it, I think it's a really strong update. Probably the biggest one we're going to get in the 15 cycle, you know, in our 15 cycle. So I think it's really good. There's a lot of great stuff in there. They've they've done a lot. It feels like a mini WWDC. Like, you know, they cl- they're clearing quite a lot down you know like you say you've got universal control there's various bits in like the magnifier you can now change the camera you're using there's a new siri voice you know they've they've just done loads to it and there's a few changes which i welcome to the tv app definitely apple tv and i think also on ios in that you can set it just to show the poster art for a film rather than it showing you a still from the film because sometimes when it shows you a still it can ruin a bit of the film that's coming up so i just think some small changes like that just you know, showing lots of maturity across a broad range of system apps. I think really good. And the one thing that's come that I've been looking forward to, and I'm glad they've done it rather than waiting for hardware is on the iPad, you can now set your volume up and down controls to either be fixed so that one button is always up and one button's always down or to follow the orientation of the iPad. So when you're in landscape and you've got an iPad Pro what was the plus button before will be the minus button now because it will follow the the volume bar on screen, if that makes sense. And obviously the left is less. So it was always counterintuitive before that you'd push the up button or the volume up button, but the volume, the volume would go up, but you're pushing it towards where the down part is, you know, to 0%. So it's a minor thing, but they introduced it on the iPad mini and then they've brought that to all the other iPads. So I, th- I think they're doing some good, Good, good bits here. What you're saying makes sense. I didn't even know that was a thing. So, oh, great. Yeah, I'm glad to brought that in then. That's really useful. Yeah, well, it's good for me. And like I say, if you hadn't had an iPad mini, you wouldn't have known about it. But where I flip between my mini and my pro, it's it's just nice that they're, they're in, in sync with each other. Yeah, I mean, my media consumption on iPads was almost entirely done on trains. So when I was coming back from London, long day, it couldn't face doing any more work. So seven o'clock train back or something like that. And I'd sit and watch something on the iPad. And I haven't had no reason to do that in two years. So I doubt I'd have even spotted that really. Well, yeah, I'm living on my iPad all day, every day. I mean, I must get at least eight hours of use out of this thing a day, times two, because I'm using both iPads generally at the same time. So um, yeah, no, it's, it's welcome for me to have that parity. So it's good. Good stuff. I think we can move on to the uh, media section then. Yes, again, Apple are killing it, aren't they, um, with awards this year. So first up, 
more i haven't read up on the baftas for for coda but this looks interesting so i actually watched it last night we quite like an award ceremony in this house so it was quite nice to watch the various baftas and things and it was really obvious that the streaming companies were getting their moment in the sun kenneth Branagh made a point of how important it was for the, the, the streaming companies were there and cinema was still important it was the film awards rather than the, the tv awards although they did highlight games as well at the start so obviously the money is in uh, games these days too so uh, a big night for apple uh, they won two baftas they won uh, best adapted screenplay for shan header for coda and then best supporting actor for troy kotzer also for coda and it was quite an impressive moment, actually, when Troy came up to the stage. He is completely deaf and signed his acceptance speech. And there was a voiceover from somebody else sort of doing the American Sign Language version of what he was doing. But the, the accessibility and, and the understanding for people who may not have the ability to speak or are deaf within the hall for BAFTA was incredible. Sign language interpreters on the musical acts, the audience themselves were doing sort of sign language for applause and all the rest of it when some of the acts were up. It was really well done and really to the fore of what was going on. And Troy and Shan Header obviously gave many props to Apple for their purchase of the film at Sundance and then their support and its accessibility and the fact that it has burned in subtitles so everybody can sort of appreciate and enjoy the dialogue within the film for those that are unable to to hear it. It was it's just it was an extremely well done part for him to win the award, certainly the first deaf actor to win an award like this. Really good to see. Yeah, and no, definitely I, I, I think it is good and it's nice, like I said, it's nice for something different to win some awards. So great, great to see it. And the fact you mentioned the streaming companies are doing really well. I mean, obviously some of that's going to be, it was probably inevitable I think the pandemic's accelerated it because obviously we're not going to the cinema as much and therefore the streaming companies have managed to shine, haven't they? They really have. And I've got I've got a slight gripe with a streaming company later, which uh, I will talk about when we get to the section. But just to, to move along a little bit, Ted Lasso has won more awards, uh, the Critics' Choice Awards this time. For and there's quite a string of them here actually, isn't there? There's Best Comedy Actor, Best Comedy Sporting Actress, Best Comedy Sporting Actor and Best Comedy Show. That's uh, a decent string of awards. So they won Best Comedy Actor for Jason Sudeikis, Best Comedy Supporting Actress for Hannah Waddingham, and uh, Best Supporting Comedy Actor for Brett Goldstein. All amazing characters, really well-deserved. Yeah, Ted Lasso keeps going from strength to strength. It does pile the pressure on for season three, though. It does, and it's probably the last season as well. And a shout-out to Brett Goldstein. His podcast is amazing and well worth listening to. He quite often has... Uh, very good celebrities, directors, other actors, and they'll do things like go for a walk around parks in London and just have a discussion. So you get a bit of the sound outside, and well, he's t- he's talking to somebody genuinely interesting, and they have some good sh- good talks. Okay, I'm, I'll have to give that a go. It's worth a look. Pimp a podcast while you're on a podcast. Homework as we speak. <laughs> That's it. We'll have to. It's got to be in the next show to see if you listen. I thought I'd give uh, a little update on Severance. I have continued to stick with watching it. It's still. Uh, got that creepy eerie feel about it but they definitely seem to be going somewhere and the pace is beginning to pick up a little bit and just to say the actors that they have in that particularly John Turturro and Christopher Walken are doing a bang up job in not the biggest most obvious parts for either of them and you know they're fitting into the aesthetic of the whole show very well so I'd recommend to anybody who hasn't seen it if you want to try something a little bit different that really sort of puts a spotlight on the separation of your corporate work life unless you're some sort of independent entrepreneur or something, and your home life and how those things come together, really worth a look. Yeah, I must I must finish it off. I must finish Coda. And I've only started episode one of Severance. But then the, uh, the Matrix got released here in the UK today on home media, so I kind of want to watch that as well. So I've got a few things stacking up at the moment. 
Yeah, I, I have seen The Matrix. It's No, I won't say anything. I don't want to spoil it for you. So we'll, we'll just move swiftly along. Don't ruin it. I want to say I haven't got high hopes because I love the first film. And the first film I probably bought on video because it came out kind of as video was dying. I bought it on video. I bought it on DVD and I bought it on Blu-ray and I bought it on iTunes. So that's probably one film I've bought on four different types of media over a 15-year period, say if I bought it in 99 on video and and throughout the various media range. So loved the first film. It was, you know, really, really massive, wasn't it, back back when it came out? So I'm interested to see where they've gone with the the latest instalment, but I'm not holding out high hopes because, because the second two films weren't up to the muster of the first, were they, let's be fair. But curious to see where they go with it. And I think I, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it for two hours. It, it may not be as good, which is fine, but just like to see what they've done with the franchise. Yeah, it's worth the watch. It's definitely worth the watch. And Neil Patrick Harris is in it, and you can't go really, really go that far wrong with Neil Patrick Harris. A small anecdote about The Matrix. So I saw The Matrix in the cinema when it came out, and before you had the internet, well, we had the internet, but not to sit and watch streaming trailers and things like that one. I went into it completely blind. I didn't know what it was going to be, and I was blown away in the cinema. I mean, it really was a proper popcorn. You know, sit with your mouth open, what the hell is going on here? Amazing film, particularly coders developers as as or trainee coders developers as we were back in the day it sort of spoke to us in some level um, and i know the more uh, open subtext about it now uh, and what the whole uh, being stuck in the matrix actually was for lana which my little sort of tech angle on this was it came out in dvd in america a long time before it came out in dvd in the uk and i bought a dvd player from tesco's that could be hacked through the entrance of a code so it was an open region so i managed to source the dvd from america and play my american dvd on my new dvd player fairly easily and straightforwardly with four four buttons on the remote control and opening and closing the drawer so that was a little of a tech win for me to have the matrix on dvd so quickly wow you really wanted to watch the film yeah. So yeah, you're obviously more committed to watching it first time around than me, but I think I I win because I bought it on four different types of media. <laughs> you did, and Matrix Resurrection. My home need. Resurrections is definitely worth a watch. Good. Okay. So one last thing. I don't know if it's quite a rant I want to have, but I think it's a squandered opportunity. The only sport I watch, with the exception of a bit of rugby is MotoGP. So I, every sort of spring, I look forward to coming back on whatever sporting channel has it at the time. It's BT Sports at the moment. But I always feel it's been undersold. So uh, Netflix, for example, has their MotoGP. Uh, sorry, their Netflix, for example, has their Formula One documentary, Drive to Survive, which has been a real sort of s- stimulus to get people in and watching uh, Formula One. So well done them. So when I heard that there was going to be a similar thing for MotoGP, I was really quite excited. Anyway, it came out last night on Amazon Prime. I happened to look this morning when I woke up and there was a little thing in my watch list so I could add it to my uh, things to be watched. Just went back to watch it about two hours ago just to watch the first episode of it and couldn't find it in the Amazon list. So I thought that's a little unusual. So I had to go digging. I eventually found it on my watch list. So this is the thing they've spent a lot of money on producing it. It's a major Amazon um, production that they want to sort of really compete with Netflix with a, with a similar live sport and maybe get fans converted to it as well as all the attendant benefits of bringing new people along. So... MotoGP riders are from all over the world, primarily Spanish and Italian, but they are from all over the world. And for English English audience members or English-speaking audience members, so the United States and Britain, it's been forcibly dubbed. So you've got to listen to awful, awful overdubs over the top of all the riders speaking in their, in their, normal, in their native languages. 
I'd rather have subtitles. I watch Squid Game with subtitles. I think it's important to hear people's own passion for, for the way that they speak and, and make that judgment. So I think that's a bad call. But that combined with the, the inability to find it uh, and just how dull they managed to make it in the first 15 minutes. So the awful dub, the poor discovery experience, uh, and then taking a sport that I love, about the only sport that I watch, and managing to make it that boring that quickly. I'm just appalled that anybody can do that in the modern area of streaming, really. Yeah, that sounds like a very bad experience. Just a couple of notes. One, Drive to Survive is awesome as a Formula One fan. And I was a Formula One fan before Drive to Survive came out. But no, I'm, I'm just working through the fourth season of that. Really enjoyable. I think it's quite good because it's like a fly on the wall in a way. And you you pick up things that have happened in year that you, you, you wouldn't have been privy to. Two, I agree with you. I think if it's kind of like the whole sign language thing, if somebody's speaking in their native tongue, I want to hear them in that, in that, and I may not understand it. Let I speak very few languages, but I will happily read subtitles. I think that's fine, and they should definitely give you the option, especially somebody like Prime, who like Netflix have been going for years at this. This isn't their first, you know, subtitled film or documentary that they're going to be showing. So I think that's really disappointing. And like you say, if you are a diehard fan, if it's boring to you, how did it get this far in the production cycle? It does make you wonder. Well, it, it's it's mystifying for me it's for them to spend the money and then hide it. Uh, and then it was an exciting season last. Even if you're not a motorbike fan, everybody's heard of Valentino Rossi. You know, he was such a huge star in the sport. It was his last year. It was his retirement year. You've got an opportunity to do something of a legend leaving the sport. You also had somebody coming back from injury, sort of the current, you know, the godlike genius that is Mark Marquez. So there's a lot of drama going on within the season that we as fans would like to get a bit more background on, as you say, as Drive to Survive has done. It just seems like such a wasted opportunity. And I will go back and I will try and get another goal, but it's egregious, the dubbing. It's really, really put me off. Yeah, I, I can't abide dubbing. I can't remember what I was watching the other day. Something on, on Prime, it might have been Prime again or Netflix. And I started watching it and then it just took me a moment to tweak that they dubbed all the voices and it was horrible because once you see it and the, and the lip sync isn't there, it just ruins it for you. It just kills it if you're really intently watching it. So, um, no, not, not a fan of dubbing. No, but it's a, probably quite a good point to, uh, to move on to our main show. I think we can just finish by saying that, you know, Apple, at least on that point of view, are going the right way with their treatment of, of, of death and, and characters and, and actors who are unable to, you know, make use of the more mainstream dialogues. And then Amazon are doing this and inflicting it on you. It's dreadful. Agreed, agreed. I must confess, actually, Amazon is good for Formula One because they've had a McLaren TV series on there. There's a Fernando TV series. And then we've got Drive to Survive on Netflix. There's there's quite a bit of content out there. Yeah, I, I suppose, to be fair to Amazon, they've got some of the sort of smaller documentaries as well. They've got things like Faster and they've got iSuperbiker and they had some of the sort of previous things involving motorcycling in the wider world. Mystifying. Yeah, shame. Anyway, let's move on, as you say. So Let's move on. So the main show. So we can start by you telling us what you're doing to prepare the way for your new uh, studio display. Yes. So I, I went from last week of thinking I've passed the first Apple event and not got the checkbook out to then five minutes later buying not a cheap screen, but like you say, it's the 27-inch um, Apple studio display. I kind of justified it to myself in that I always wanted an Apple screen. And then when I had enough money to buy one, Apple stopped making them five years ago, give or take, maybe longer now. And so I never quite had one. I thought, no, I really want one. I'm going to do it. So I've gone ahead and bought that. But in order to make some space for it, it's actually made me do a couple of things. Because in my office, I've got a screen that I use both with my iPad for mirroring and for my Apple TV and for my Switch. And actually what I've done is I've put that up on the wall. So I bought a, bought a mounting wall adapter from Amazon. 
and bolted that onto the we'll put the screen up there way off the desk so, so i've got plenty of room so i can run my apple tv on there because I, I leave it on the news often when i'm in the office just to keep up with the headlines especially at the moment and watch various other pieces on there because i've got two homepod minis in here as well which are using the in the mode on the apple tv that that play out of there all the time that's actually working really well i know it's been a bit iffy for people but actually where apple have iterated on the software and made it work with the minis that's been really strong so yeah screen up on the wall and i just bought you know for 20 quid mountain bracket from amazon it's just their basics range really good i've then also gone and bought um the 12 self backpack for an imac 24 inch which slots into the the power hole ring that you, where you put the pass plug through and it creates like a little shelf on the back of the stand just thought it'd be super useful because i might put my mac mini on the back of it to just to tuck it out of the way so dead chuffed for that i managed to pick one of those up and then um whilst i'm there i managed to pick up an ethernet adapter as well so that um usb-c to ethernet so i can have my ethernet cable in the back of the screen as well so i can use it on my ipad and on my mac mini at the same time so that'd be quite helpful and at the same time whilst i spotted this balkin one i then realized they do an ethernet adapter with power pass through so i bought that as a much better option for my ipad mini because i just i was unhappy with the one i bought before because it wasn't a well-known brand i thought actually i'd rather get the balkin one so i've done that too and then whilst I was there and I thought I'm doing my shut up, I bought these foam tiles, which are a bit weird, but to help hopefully with the quality of the of the audio that I'm feeding back on this podcast in my meetings, because I'm in a wooden shed, I thought actually I could do is softening it. So for £20 in the UK, you get 24 of these, these foam tiles. They come very condensed in a packet. You then have to soak them in a bit of water just briefly under the tap and they and then dry them and they slowly expand out. Apparently this is the process. It seems odd to me taking something that's dry, making it wet to then dry it again. And I'm going to put those in the roof to hopefully, like I say, just provide a bit of softness in here. So yeah, this is kind of version two of the shed. Now I've had it for 18 months. Very good. I think you're sounding better as well, I must say. I'm fascinated by this. I mean, I can understand the other things you've bought, the USB-C to Ethernet, so you can you can plug that into the back of your screen and, and you can manage that rather than having various docks and dongles and things like that. On your iPads, you obviously only got one USB-C on your iPad, so that makes sense. I can see why you've done that. The, the, the shelf thing I've never seen before in my life. So it's a little extra stand that clamps onto the back of the actual metal stand that the ipad or the um or the screen sits on and gives you space at the back of the screen yeah so on the stand it's not quite a, i don't know what the angle is but it's not like a 45 degree angle but say like a 60 degree angle and then you can then put in essence this little bracket on it and it gives you a flat shelf at the back of it so it's ideal if you want to hide like an ssd around the back or anything small like that or if you have um a full USB-C hub and it comes with straps as well so you can actually strap things to it so they don't fall over I just thought it was a neat way of keeping things up and off the desk if that makes sense so that, that, that's why I've gone for it it's just a small thing but I just thought I do like a, cl- a clear desk it's the only thing I'm, I'm gutted about podcasting with you is I've got this horrible boom arm on here now whereas up until recently my desk I'm fairly minimal kind of person well once you've got your amazing new screen the, we'll see what the microphones are like in it perhaps yeah i don't know if they're going to be that good but i'm curious to know i occasionally try them out on my ipad if i join a conference call and i haven't got my airpods in but um the airpods the feedback from the other people on the call is it sounds so much better when you're on your airpods and when you're just using the mics out of the ipads 
Oh, fair enough. I mean, let's face it, dedicated microphones are better, which is why we've both bought them. But um, no, no, interesting. I will be interested to see how it goes. Uh, you didn't have a thought about getting the Visa mount version of the of the new display then, so you could have it exactly where you wanted on your desk. I undenied about it, but I, I had a Visa mount before, and I was a bit disappointed with a couple of them because sometimes the weight of the screen, and if you don't get it quite right, it sits at a jaunty angle. And like I say, because I've got a standing desk, I'll just raise the desk up as as high as I like, really. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. And I, I only sit down when I podcast with you. So I stay a consistent distance from the microphone. But throughout the working day, five days a week, I stand at this desk. I walk around whilst I'm on conference calls because I've got my AirPods in and I'm not, I'm not tethered to it. So um, it'll be fine. If I live to regret it and I end up putting books under it, you can you can tell me I told you. They've made a minor mistake here. They should have sold them all with the height adjust stand as default, not do the just the tilt only option. They should have done it with the height adjust stand out of the box and they should offer the vest mount as an option. But it does seem crazy to me that you can't even retrofit one afterwards. You've got to buy it out of the box, which I'm sure they could have come up with a better way of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I did hear on another podcast this week, this is the company that did the iMac with the sort of angle poise arm built onto it, so you could put the screen exactly where you wanted to, any distance from your face, tilt it, swivel it, with just one finger. It was a very impressive thing, that uh, the iMac, and I agree with you, they could have done better. It's a bare minimum that you need to provide decent accessibility of, of something that you spend quite a lot of the day looking at, and... Fair enough. It's built in. It's not a thousand pounds for this for the arm like it is on the on the XDR uh, bigger Mac uh, bigger monitor that Apple do. But four hundred quid just to make it go up and down a little bit is a bit much. People go back to balancing it on books. So I agree. And for for a five year old screen off an iMac, it does seem bonkers to me that they're selling for fifteen hundred quid and it's not high adjustable when you buy a monitor for two hundred pounds. And it is high adjustable. So I do think they're missing a trick there. Oh, and you mentioned the iMac G4 angle poise. One of us did declare, I think, in our first or our second episode, that was my both my best and my and my worst Mac I ever owned. So um cracking bit, they nailed it back then. It's a shame they they walked away from that design quite quickly. I'm sure they could do something better, but it is what it is. I'm just happy they've made a standalone screen that I think will work well. I am curious to see. Over time, will the iPad be able to take advantage of some of the hardware in it? For me, especially the, the camera in there, I'd love to know, you know, in future iPad OS updates, and I plug my iPad into it, would it be able to use not just the screen, but but the camera that comes with it too? Yeah, very curious to see how it pans out. Yeah, I hope so. And I've said before, I hope they do something more with the iPad, because now there's M1s in more of the range, they could do a lot more with it. But you've actually, you've segued into something I really want to talk about. And, and again, a couple of other podcasts have picked it up this week that I've heard. And that's... It's form factors I want to talk about more than anything. So we have the death of the 27-inch iMac. Alleged death of the 27-inch iMac. It's certainly gone from the range now. You can't even buy the old Intel one off the Apple website at the moment. So I think that was the perfect computer for many people. I know lots of people who bought a 27-inch iMac two, three, five years ago are still hanging on to that 5K uh, iMac it's a wonderful computer for them. They're not massively demanding computer users, but what they wanted was something that looked tidy, ran the Apple operating system, and had a nice big screen. And I've I've installed a couple of the 24 inches, and it's an extremely nice computer. It's small, it's light, it's lovely. It's, it's so thin I can almost not believe it, but it's not got that compelling 27-inch screen, or it would be bigger than 27-inch these days by the time you get rid of the bezels. And I really think it's a tactical mistake. They're going to miss sales uh, by 
pushing people upstream towards a, uh, either a Mac Mini in the, in the display or downstream to a 24-inch iMac. I think there's too much of a gap in the market there. Yeah, I completely agree. I always wanted a 27-inch iMac, but for whatever reason, never ended up with one. But there's such a good good screen, great device. Could I, I purely think that the Apple Mac Studio is a good replacement for the iMac Pro. I think that makes sense. And I'd rather have a, if you're spending that sort of money, I'd rather separate the screen and, and the computer. So if one fails or needs replacing, you're, you're replacing half the device, not all of it. But I would imagine there is quite a strong market to take that 24-inch design and just, you know, just drag it bigger in Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever they're designing or AutoCAD, I guess. Make it that bit bigger, put a 27-inch panel on it, but just leave the rest the same. And that would sell like hotcakes because... You know, you are going to have some people using it in offices where they don't need the power of the M1 Ultra. And an M1 will be fine. And the M1, it's fine for a lot of people. It's a cracking chip. Why wouldn't they do it? It just feels like they're leaving part of the market. But maybe they are struggling where they are making more and more devices, chip shortages, and maybe they've just made the decision that, you know what, it's it's for another day. It will make a comeback would be my gut. You never know five years from now, they play this comment back to me. But we'll come back, but I'm very surprised that they haven't said they're going to fill that hole in the market between what is what a £1,400 computer and a £3,500 computer. You know, there's a big gap there between going from the iMac 24 to a, an Apple Mac Studio if you haven't already got a screen. That's a massive gap. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the Mac Mini hasn't got them. Saying that, I'm running, I've just counted while you were talking there. This is on an M1. We're recording this. I'm running 14 things at the same time. I'm capturing the audio. I've got an Xcode project sitting in the background with a simulator running. I've got various tabs open in web browsers and things like that. There's more than enough power in an M1. And that gap, I 100% agree with you. I have, I have on my desk at work that I haven't touched in a couple of years now, an iMac Pro. It's an amazing computer. Considering what was in it, it's, it's Intel Xeon chips that are in it. It was almost completely silent. It was very, very fast. It was very, very capable. I could do all sorts of pro stuff with it. But it was also four grand, you know, which is a huge amount of money. And I think a studio display and a Mac Studio are about the same price. It's $1,999 for, for a Mac Studio, and it's 1500 1900 quid by the time you get the stand that works for you. So it's four grand for that. And I agree with you. As a pro... I might want to swap my screen out. I might want to swap the computer out. You know, I, I want, might want to add multiple screens, more likely actually, not just one screen, but I'm going to want two or three, you know, of whatever screens are available to do it. And that's fine. I can choose that as a pro. But for so many people, the iMac non-pro is exactly what they want. The screen is big enough. It's powerful enough. They can get on and do it. They can write the letters. They can do a certain amount of, a huge amount of web browsing or anything that they need to do. They even play the odd game on it, as long as it's Tomb Raider. Then, you know, I, I think that's fine. It's a great computer and I, the, it, it is a big gap uh, in the market. It really is. Yeah, I, I think it's bizarre, but maybe they come back and they deal with it when they can. I don't know. I think, I think they're doing a good job with everything M1. The 27-inch iMac does feel like a slight misstep that, they're leaving it yeah i mean it feels churlish to whinge doesn't it? i mean they're giving us the computers we always wanted uh, certainly us who've had macs for years and years and years and, and i know john syracuse goes on about this lot this mythical mythical x mac tower which was a little tower you could put things into and let's face it it was gamers as much as anything that wanted it they wanted better graphics cards in it or they wanted something like that uh, and there's no need for something like that these days i think they've very very solidly proved the case that 
The silicon chip that's on the M1 has enough RAM, it has enough uh, power, it has enough CPU, GPU, all the bits and pieces that you want in the chip to do most things, including run Tomb Raider. All right, it's not going to blow away your Call of Duty player or something like that, but for every other task that you want a, a modern GPU to do, CPU to do as a, as a professional, whatever that means these days, it, it can more than cover it. Just give them the screen size. Yeah, agreed. But look, don't get me wrong, I'd rather have the Apple Mac Studio and the Studio Display than a 27-inch iMac because I'm not in the market for 27-inch iMac, but as we've discussed, very much in the market for the Studio Display. So I think we've got the better option for where I am, but if I was buying a, a computer for my grand, for my parents or recommending one for friends, it would have probably been the iMac 27. Well, put it this way. In my in my worky work, we quite often go and do shows for 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 participant groups. So you know, we we decamp to Manchester for a weekend and want lots of people to sign up to our, our web service. And one weekend we went and we had seven hundred and fifty people come across the stand and sign them up. I took three twenty-seven inch iMacs to put on the side because they were nice, and accessible. They were there for people to use, and you know they could easily see what some people with 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 vision difficulties as well. You could reduce the resolution down on it. You get an awful lot on that screen to make it easier for people. So. It served lots of markets. It was a computer that I could just pick up, stick in the back of a van or car and go up the road and know that it would work. I hadn't forgotten things. I hadn't left a cable behind. You know, it, it was everything I needed was built into it. So it's it has it had utility beyond the things people expect it to. So I, I just, it's a bit of a shame. I think we've made the point. Agreed. Good stuff. We're, we're coming to the end of the show, but I just wondered if you'd picked up any games in the last week. Yes, one game that's made quite an impact in my house is Gran Turismo 7 on the PS5. My eight-year-old son has played it far more than I have, but what a game. Absolutely stunning. It took me very much back to being at university and playing it on my PS2. I also played on my PS3. I've skipped PS4 and now resumed on the PS5, but what a stunning game. Love it. How about you? Yeah, I picked it up as well. I, I was fairly determined I wasn't going to, but I read a review and it wasn't just the review that got me about it. It, it was a still picture of it. And I wasn't sure if it was an actual picture of a Honda Civic or it was some, an image from the game. It just looked so incredible. And, and looking at it more closely, it was from the game engine of the game. So I thought, yeah, all right, this that picture combined with this review, this is something I must have. Yeah, agreed. The graphics are stunning. Even if you play at 60 frames in the slightly... I'm going to say lower res, but without ray tracing and, and all of that turned on it, it's cracking. It looks so good. Really impressed with the quality, the music, the menus. It, it, it's a good nostalgia game, but also lots of new cars. I think there's over 400 cars in it, lots of tracks. If you, if anybody's ever enjoyed Grand Turismo before, they're certainly going to enjoy this one. I think it, it's cracking. Um, for me, the only slight disappointment is doing split screen two player. They've put no. They've kind of phoned that feature in at the last minute. It's, it feels like there's a lot of black black borders around the screen. You can only pick a limited set of cars. You can't have any computer players on there. It's just a bit disappointing in a game that my son and I would really enjoy doing more more of it together rather than just taking it in turns. So a bit bit disappointed with that, if I'm honest. But maybe I need to try playing it online. Yeah. Have you locked? Have you unlocked the online mode yet? Only just. <laughs> I have not played it very much, so I just haven't had the time. <laughs> so my story about Gran Turismo is I went to stay at a friend's house, and oh God, okay, when did Gran Turismo even come out? Well, I'll have to think about this for a minute. Must be 97, 98, I'm guessing. I'll let you Google that frantically while I'm, while I'm, while I'm reminiscing here. I went to a friend's house, and he had a PS, well, just a PlayStation at that point, but what became the PS1, and he had Gran Turismo. 
He was a bit late getting up, so I went on early on a Sunday morning. Might have been alcohol involved the night before. Going on his PlayStation, and I sat for three hours, and I sat and did his licenses for him on his PS One, just because it was it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Making me sit a driving test in the game. What was that all about? And I stuck with Gran Turismo. I bought. I went. I came back. I bought a PS One myself and Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo two, two and three on the PlayStation two, three, four. Stayed with it all the way. The last one, previous to GT7, was a, was a real disappointment. It launched missing lots of cars, didn't have a lot of the customization. It was primarily designed to be online, and I kind of became disillusioned with the series, really. But this GT7 is really right back to where the series should have been. It's implemented thoughtfully with the multiplayer stuff so far. So I have seen your times, for example, on some of the licenses and tracks we've been setting and a couple of other friends as well. So that's quite nice. It's quite compelling to just be in a gentle way prodded that you're not doing as well as you might be uh, with everybody else. It looks fantastic. It sounds amazing. It's worth sticking a pair of headphones on and putting it through the controller just to appreciate how good the sort of 3D audio is on it. Really, really impressive. Yeah, good game. Slightly expensive, I must say. But then games are these days. But yeah, well worth it. I'd, anybody who likes a driving game should pick it up. I've never spent more than £50 on a computer game. I bought the Premium Ultra Edition, whatever you call it. It was £90. That's a lot of money for a game. I think though my eight-year-old son's going to get that £90 worth of value out of it. So real-time follow-up, Gran Turismo 1 came out in 97, 2 in 99. I think I must have come in in Gran Turismo 3 in 2001 on the PlayStation 2. That's where I entered it. There you go. There you go. I was I wasn't bad with my guest, Hannah. I was trying to think of when I was wandering around sleeping in my, my housemate. Oh my, my, my ex housemate's floor is getting drunk. So uh, yeah, those were the now, days. What, what a game! It certainly got me back on my PlayStation quite a bit. To be fair, and yeah, I'm loving it. It's 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 brilliant. It's just what I needed at the moment. Yeah, it's it's a it's a nice bit of escapism, isn't it? I think it's 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 gentle enough. It's not uh, a shooty shooty bang kill game with there's enough real death going on in the world in many ways to to not have to descend into Call of Duty very much. So yeah, Gran Turismo kind of fits the bill. Agreed. Yeah, it's a great escape, and the rewards are quite good. There's always something to unlock if you, if you're into that sort of thing, or buy the next car, or or do something to it. So I no, really enjoying it, and actually, interesting chat some friends where I work. It's actually going across quite a demographic of ages that have bought it and, and people. It, it does seem to have, it's kind of one of those all-rounder games that everybody's interested in. What has also come out, always sorry, coming out later this week is the add-on for Mario Kart on the Nintendo Switch. So all the game, all the, all the racing games are coming out all at once, both which are very popular in our house. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how ne- next week looks when we've got GT7 and the new Mario Kart DLC. So I'm well, looking forward to that. Well, maybe you'll be allowed on the PlayStation again then when the DLC is out for Mario Kart. There is that, but we've got several Nintendo Switches in our house. <laughs> You've got to have the OLED screen, man. No, because I just... My 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 Nintendo Switch is in its uh, dock over there. It's not actually even mine. It's my daughter's Nintendo Switch. Gathering dust. It occasionally comes out. They have a game of Mario Kart. They have a game of Splatoon or something, and it goes away again. And then there's other things are chosen. Bad days. There's a, I've got a dock in my office just so I can have a go at lunchtime. Spare pro controller down here and everything. Yeah, that fair enough. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. But it's it's it, it doesn't take enough boxes for me. So just remind me, the Mario Kart DLC is like 35 more tracks or something, is it? Yeah, it was about 20 quid and like 30 odd tracks. And I thought we've played it so much. And I love that game. Um, what gets me though is obviously, for those that don't know, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe originally came out on the Nintendo Wii U, and then it was one of the launch games 
or close enough to launch on the Nintendo Switch. So it's been around the block and has remained at the top of the charts for a long time. Such a good game, but it's really accessible because for those who don't know, the mechanics of it, you know, if, if you're towards the back of the pack and you're, you're not up in, in the first few positions, that gives you lots of help. And if you are at the front, it throws lots of obstacles in your way to slow you down. So it does try to balance the mechanics so it makes it a really good family game i certainly know the four of us in our house have played it and it is a good family game because everybody's got a chance basically and it's not just oh you're really good you win all the time because sometimes it is luck and and the um, power-ups you get or, or what you um, get hit with pull you back so i'm um, cracking game love it and i'm looking forward to revisiting it with the kids because we haven't played in a little while so they don't know i've ordered it i don't even know if they know it's coming out so it'd be quite a nice surprise at the weekend to pick up with them Oh, there, let's follow up for next week. What one, Gran Turismo 7 or Mario Kart? I can't wait. And it's Formula 1 next weekend, so it's all about cars. Well, I got MotoGP next weekend, so we've all got our things. It does, make me, it does make me think, though, topic for a future show would be our experience of gaming on the Mac. What's a Mac? Well, you have one, and let's call it... Let's call it gaming on the Mac and iOS, because I haven't forgotten your Slay the Spire homework, which I'm sure you've at least had one game of since last we talked. Yeah, I have had a brief go on it, but um, I haven't played much of my iPhone. I've barely played threes, which is which is literally my go-to. So um, I'm a bit bit behind generally on that. I think when I've had downtime, though, there's so much stuff I want to watch, and I'm trying to do a bit on Gran Turismo. And you mentioned licenses earlier on Gran Turismo. For me, that's good to go and do um, a 20-second license and try and get it to gold or silver. So I've been spending my time doing that, whereas I'd probably normally just fire up my phone and have a game for half an hour just to relax. And I've been I've been playing Gran Turismo because the load times are so quick. Yeah, those SSDs really help, don't they? Massively. I don't think you kind of want to go back and just experience it like on a PS3 or something just to go, oh yeah, I've forgotten how much storage has progressed in that short period. Well, I replaced both my PS... I had two PS4s, uh, a, pro, uh, a standard one and a PS4 Pro, and I replaced both of them with SSDs, which even that made a hell of a difference. But the PS5 is on a different level. I massively in a different level. I'm looking to expand mine, but I haven't got very far with it. Yeah, I'm more interested in expanding the Xbox because of the amount of games. See, look at all these consoles we've got, but that, for the Xbox Series S, is a lot more storage constrained than the PlayStation. Yeah, and but that's a lot easier because Microsoft just do an official, this is what you buy. And I wish Sony did that for the PS5. Just tell me exactly what I need to buy and put Sony tax on it by 50 quid or something. I'd rather just buy it and know it's going to work. Western, so digital eight, it. Western Digital 850, isn't it? I think it's what you want. Oh, I was recommended the Samsung 980 with a heatsink. Yeah, there we go. So, okay. Um, interestingly, I was in one of these shops in the UK where you can buy and sell things, and they did have quite a range of Xbox Series X in. And I was giving it the side eye. I was like, ooh, ooh, 500 pounds, you say? <laughs> I, I thought, th- I've got enough consoles. Yeah, you've got more consoles than you can shake a stick out there, really, haven't you? Yeah, we are very fortunate, I think, to be fair. Uh, very. And, and on that note, I think we've got a little bit of homework to do for next week, haven't we? And we've got your impending purchases arriving at the end of the month we'll have to talk about as well. And I really would like to do next week some stuff on how we work. And we, we threatened to do to-do lists in a previous podcast, but I think we should follow up on that. Yeah, sure. There's loads we could do on how we work, how we remember what to do, what our productivity apps are. I think that'd be good. Yep. Sounds like a plan. I think we'll call that a show, Chris. All right, well, thanks for tonight. It was good. And if anybody wants to get in contact, you can uh, email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Love to hear your feedback. And again, reach out on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. And again, love to hear from you. 
Thanks very much. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.